Man, oh man, it is good to be with my Lifehouse family. Aren't you thankful for our incredible worship team today? I don't know if you had a workout plan for this afternoon, but you can skip it. You don't have to go now. Come on, somebody. I wasn't going anyway, but you know. Now we can eat even more food for lunch. Off of the Holy Ghost. Um, I want to make a few acknowledgments today. First of all, I want to welcome to Lifehouse Sam and Joyce Johnson from Priority One over here to my left. Appreciate you being with us today and thank you so much for allowing us to partner with you in Priority One. It really is our honor and our privilege and we're just thankful. Aren't we thankful for the opportunity to be part of what God is doing through Priority One? I also want to remind you, it is Family Sunday, so it may get a little rambunctious in the house today. It's been a little, little rambunctious already, a little, little movement today, but that's okay, amen? That's all right. I'd rather be going to a church there's a little bit of movement than going to a church where there ain't any movement. And I'm just thankful for our kids, and I'm thankful so much for our leaders. As Lori led us in the song today, I was thinking again, how grateful I am as a dad of, of two girls who are in kids' house who are exposed to that sort of moving of the Spirit every Sunday. There she is, yeah. <laughs> Amen. I also uh, want to honor uh, the Cole family today. Darlene is in the house back there in the back, Carlos and Christy and... Um, Many of you who are, who are relatively new to LifeHouse may have never even got to meet Carlos Cole Sr., right? We, senior, yeah. Um, Carlos was 94 years old. He fought in World War II and in the Korean conflict. He was an incredible man. He was a ton of fun. And uh, Friday night, he went home to be with Jesus and receive his eternal reward. So, Darlene, we honor you. We love you. And he would sit right up here, and he would come to me after my sermon. He would say, that's the best sermon I ever heard. And uh, the only reason he said that is because he took a nap, and uh, he was resting in the Lord. Amen. Some of y'all know what that's about. And uh, we honor you, Cole family, and we love you. We're praying for you. And uh, just thankful for the influence uh, over the decades that he had in this church that helped us be and, and arrive where we are today. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to go in your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. I want to preach to you a familiar story. But my guess is that uh, for some of you, it may not be that familiar. For some of us, you know, sometimes we think we know something only to realize that because of our familiarity with the topic, we don't know what we thought we knew. Does that make sense? So I want to go and talk today about the, the story of David and Goliath. Do I, have a, do I have a Goliath in the house today? Where are you at, Goliath? Why are you so shy? No, put your hand down. You ain't Goliath today. This is prearranged. We've already talked. He's my Goliath. Do I have a David in the house today? That's what's up, buddy. Do I have any other Davids in the house today? I hope I, hope I don't have any Sauls in the house today. Boo. No, no, he's, no we, love, we love King Saul. I want to read just a, a few scriptures coming from this story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's read verses 48 through 51. It says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, 
Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. David ran and he stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Y'all, this is PG-13 sermon. It's family Sunday, but we getting violent today. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Everybody, I'd say at least almost everybody, whether they are new to church, never been to church, never even heard of a church, have, have some familiarity with the story of David and Goliath. It's one of those pop culture phrases that we use, right? That when there's a heavy favorite facing an underdog, whether we're talking about in the realm of politics, in the realm of sports, or any sort of competition of any kind, we'll say this is a David and Goliath story, right? One of the ones that comes to my mind when I think about it is the 1980 U.S. hockey team as they faced the Soviet Union hockey team. And they, yeah, that's what's up, girl. Yeah, that's right. There's the story of Aaron Brockovich versus the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, a little bit probably less familiar. Uh, one of my favorites, Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. Can I get a witness in the house today? Would you, yo, did you say yo, Adrian? You got to say it in the mic if you're going to say it. No, I turned it off. How about Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son versus John Kreese and Cobra Kai? And then there's also the new Cobra Kai, right? That's pretty cool. How about, how about, this is a good one. Some of y'all don't, y'all, some of y'all are too young. Uh, how about Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, WrestleMania 3? Yeah. That, that kind of felt like a David and Goliath when you watch that. We, we've been watching old videos at the house with the girls, and I've been exposing them to the 80s and 90s of WWF. Not WWE. Listen, that wrestling today is fake, y'all. I'm just sorry. I hate to, hate to burst your bubble. But that wrestling of my childhood, that's the real deal, y'all. Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. And we'll turn it on, and the girls will look at me, and they'll, they'll go, they'll say, Daddy, is this real? And I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real if you in there, I bet. So we would call a lot of these the David and Goliath stories, right? But my question for you today is do we know the story of David and Goliath as well as we think we do? So the title of my message today is The Real Story of David and Goliath. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we do our best to just dive into 1 Samuel 17, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will transform our minds. God, that we will have fun, but more than anything else, that we will encounter you as we learn the real story of David and Goliath. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. It takes up the entirety of the chapter of 1 Samuel 17. Not going to read that. Uh, I do encourage you, go back and read it for yourself sometime. You'll enjoy it. It's a cool story. I mean, I'm just telling you, the Bible's Bible's pretty cool, right? I'm a big, I'm a big uh, fan of, of, you know, epic stories and battles. And I'm not going to lie. I like watching fights. I don't like participating in them because I don't like getting hurt. But I love to be an observer and to go, ooh. Um, you know, when somebody, you know what I'm saying. You know, anybody know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the Bible is full of epic battles, epic fights, where you've got people who are considered by the standards of this world an absolute and utter underdog uh, facing something or somebody that seems like an overwhelming favorite. But it seems as if time and time again, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, right, where God shows up in a spectacular way. And sometimes, sometimes the people, sometimes God's man or God's woman, they don't even have to fight. Sometimes they just blow a trumpet and hold a torch in the air, right? That's the story of Gideon. Sometimes they just take a walk around the wall for seven days in a row. That's the story of Joshua, right? But every so often they do get in the middle of the battle and they get to get their hands dirty. And that's the ones I really like. I'm not going to lie to you. That's the ones that I really like. So a little bit of 
background here, we've got the Philistines who are, we, we believe that the Philistines are the precursors to who we would uh, come to know as the Greeks or the Greek people, which would even come before the Romans, Romans, and they would be coming in from the Mediterranean. And, and so they, they are coming up into the Valley of Elah. Now I don't have a picture of it, but you need to go maybe in the back of your Bible. There may be a picture of it. If you've got a study Bible, you can go to first Samuel 17 and sometimes you can see a picture of it. But the Valley of Elah is, is a valley because that's what it's called, right? And then on each side, you've got these little hills. And in between the, the hills is the Valley of Elah. And it's about half a mile apart. And you've got this man, Goliath, who was sent by the Philistines because they have this idea, you know, instead of the entire armies of Israel facing the entire armies of, of the Philistines, how about we just send out our champion and they fight in singles combat and whoever wins that wins the battle, right? And so Goliath comes out and, and he issues the challenge and he says, who, who wants to fight me? Who's going to face me? And Goliath, you know, we've got in this corner over here is somewhere between seven feet tall and nine feet, nine inches tall. Yeah. We don't know how tall he was, but let's just say on the short side, he was seven feet tall. That's still pretty tall, y'all. That's a big boy right there. And so, so Goliath comes out and he has an armor bearer or a shield bearer in front of him. And so Goliath is, is walking and not only is Goliath that tall, but he must have been a big, strong man because he's carrying 125 pounds of armor. We don't know how much he weighed, but we know how much his armor weighed. Now yesterday, me and my wife and, and our kids, we went on a walk and she was carrying Magnolia up the hill and she was huffing and puffing, y'all. I mean, you know, you might say, well, you know, a good husband would have got her for you. But listen, it's, it is what it is. So that's just how we roll in the Moorhead house. And uh, I faked an injury, so I didn't have to do it. There's that too. And she's carrying Magnolia and she's huffing and puffing. And I have to make fun of her because that's one of my callings in life. And uh, she said, you'd be huffing and puffing too if you was carrying 30 extra pounds. And I said, I am carrying 30 extra pounds. <laughs> And she smarted off and said, but you're used to it. That was her response. True story, mostly. So Goliath is carrying 125 pounds of armor, right? He's got a sword. He's got a spear. He's got a javelin. Or a, and this wasn't a throwing javelin. This was a thrusting javelin. And the Bible says that the, the head of the javelin alone weighed 15 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, but 15 pounds may not sound like a lot, but hold it out in front of you for a few seconds and see what you start thinking about that. So Goliath is trained for this battle. He is He's definitely who we would consider uh, the favorite in this fight that's about to happen, the fight that we read about when we opened this message up. And so here's, I'm just going to share with you a few thoughts as we go through this story. And thought number one is this, we may not face literal giants. In fact, I, I would be impressed if anybody in this room said, you know what, I faced a giant one time, like a literal giant, right? And I, Matt Coleman came at me one day, but we didn't have to tussle because I talked him out of it. But other than that, other than that, I've never faced a literal giant. And I know some of you find that hard to believe, but I haven't. But we do face situations that make us feel overwhelmed and overpowered in our life. If you ever, come on, if you have you ever gone through a situation where you've looked at the circumstances, you thought through, thought through what was going on, and you thought to yourself, I literally don't have a move here. I literally can't do anything about this. Anybody, just raise your hand. I'm pretty sure everybody in the house has gone through something like that. The ones that aren't raising their hand are just choosing to not participate in this message, and the Lord is watching you. Brandon McCarley, I saw you not. I saw you just chilling back there. We may not face literal giants, but we do face situations that remind us of how little control we have in our lives, right? We do face situations where we feel overpowered and overwhelmed. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle or our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against bad situations. You might think that person who's done you wrong, that that's the person that's your enemy. You might think that the situation that you're in the middle of right now, that that somehow is what's working against you. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark 
world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I need to tell you today that every battle you've ever faced and every battle you will ever face, there is a demon, there is a devil behind that battle. There is, there is a reason, and that reason is sin. That's why you're going through the battle you're going through. It may not be your sin. It may not be even somebody else's sin, but it may just be the fact that we live in a world that's broken, that we live in a world that's been marked and marred by sin. And Jesus, while he has redeemed us, he is redeeming his creation. And we still live in this world, right? We still have to go through things in this world. The word reminds us that even that bad boss you've got, right? Somebody be careful with that amen. That family member, right? That situation, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, your real battle is not against flesh and blood. Your real battle is against the powers and principalities in this world. So we pick back up with our story and 40 days go by and every morning Goliath would walk out and listen, if you start reading this in the King James, it gets a little graphic, so be careful of that. Goliath walks out and he issues his challenge, right? And he says, is there no one in Israel brave enough to face me? No one who's ready to fight. And King Saul is getting more and more worried each day. Now, here's the thing about King Saul. You need to go a few chapters back and you read about King Saul. He was selected by the people of Israel, by Samuel, because the word tells us that they wanted a king who would lead them into battle and fight for them. They got tired of feeling like they had to do it themselves. And that's honestly the way God wanted them to do it. You go read through the book of Judges, go read through Joshua. God had set them up in such a way that he was their king. He was their ruler. But in order to follow God as your king and in order to follow God as your ruler, you have to stay close to him. And they got tired of that. And they said, how about... How about we just pick a guy who can do the work for us and we can just listen to what he says and we can just do what he says and he fights for us. And so Samuel finds this man named Saul. The Bible says he is tall. He's a head taller than everybody else in all of Israel. So in actuality, he is the next closest thing Israel has to a Goliath, right? He's a big boy too. He's not, he's not as big as Goliath, but he's, he's tall. He's big. He's a strong warrior and he's getting worried. He's getting worried because he realizes, even though he's only been the king for a very short time, relatively speaking at this point, that this battle might be the end of him because it's his job to fight Goliath. And if somebody doesn't step up, if somebody else doesn't come and take his place, then it's going to be his responsibility. He's already put it off for 40 days, but eventually he's going to have to fight this guy. But he's also getting worried because he remembers that the reason why he is king of Israel is because the people wanted somebody who would be brave, who would be strong, who would be a great leader and go in front of them and go ahead of them. So if Goliath doesn't kill Saul, uh, there's a bunch of people following him who are getting tired of him. You, you follow me? Does that make sense? And one morning, Jesse, the father of David, now we're introduced to David and Jesse in the previous chapter in 1 Samuel 16. David goes out per his father's instructions to take breakfast to his three brothers who were at the battle lines where the armies of Israel are facing off against the armies of the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And David leaves early in the morning. He's a shepherd boy, so he's used to getting up early to be with the sheep. So he leaves early in the morning just in time. He arrives just in time to hear Goliath's uh, challenge that morning. And it's pretty interesting. David hears and he starts asking some questions. David's older brother, Eliab, starts mocking David and making fun of him and kind of being a, uh, you know, where, where's my kids at? A booty tootie, according to, he's being a booty tootie. Olivia, yeah, Julia. That's, 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 that's being, that's, that's, that's a, in our house, that's as bad as it gets, y'all. And Goliath is totally being a booty tootie, right? Yeah. And uh, some of y'all are judging us for our bad language in our home. And David arrives just in time to hear Goliath's challenge. And he starts asking questions. And his brother says, oh, listen, David, you need, to, you need to hush your mouth. You need to shut up. You need to, you need to go back home and take care of those few sheep that dad has you watching over. And, and David's, David just does what we all need to do when the enemy starts reminding us of, you know, things that we may not be good enough. He does what we need to do. He just, he, he turns his back towards them and he starts talking to somebody else, right? He's like, I ain't got time for your mess today. And he asked, he says, oh, what's going to be given to the guy that defeats Goliath? And, and they said, well, you're going you're gonna to not have to pay taxes anymore. 
And then, and then Saul's going to give you one of his daughters to be your wife. And David says, I don't care about that. What about the taxes thing? That sounded pretty good right there. Can I get a witness in the house today? And, and, and so, so David goes to Saul and says, listen, I want to fight him. But here's, here's what I really want to point out in this part of the story. Even though David, and you got to go read this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, even though David had been anointed as the next king of Israel, he still honored his father by obeying him in the small things. You see, in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse according to God's instructions. He, he had said, listen, Saul is not going to be king much longer, and I'm not going to allow Saul's family to continue in the kingship because Saul has abandoned my commandments. He's not doing the things I told him to do. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And so to Samuel, God says, go to the house of Jesse where you will anoint the next king. And so Samuel goes and he, and he says, Jesse, listen, one of your sons is going to be the next king. And Samuel probably didn't know in advance just how many kids Jesse had. Uh, he just, anyway, I can't talk about that. Kids are in the service, but Jesse had a lot of kids and he goes through each one of, uh, of Jesse's kids. And, and Samuel says, no, this isn't the one. This isn't the one. And he looks at him and he says, don't you have any more kids? God told me to come to your house. God told me that one of your sons, and, and Jesse says, oh, I have one more son, but he's the youngest. And so I just want to point out to you right here, and something you may not have thought about before, but it seems as if Jesse and David may have had a strained relationship. But even though they may have had a strained relationship, David was humble enough to honor his father even when and if his honoring his father wasn't easy. And so Jesse was there and Samuel comes and he looks at David and he says, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And he anoints David in sight of all of his brothers and all of his family in front of Jesse and everybody. And Jesse knows this, his dad. He knows that he's going to be the next king. But Jesse still knows that's still my boy. And he's still going to do what I tell him to do. He still lives in my house, right? Can I, anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and so... And so Jesse goes to David and he says, David, I want you to take breakfast to your three brothers fighting with Saul. Now, how many of you know that the first thing that, 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 um, that David may have thought was, Dad, I'm going to be the next king. I am not a waiter. I am not a delivery boy. I don't drive for, for, for DoorDash, okay? That's not who I am. That's not what I do. In fact, why don't you go take, that's what he may have wanted to have said, but instead what he said was, yes, Father. because." God may have called you and destined you for greatness. In other words, you know, we've been talking about this over the last several weeks to rule in life, right? That he has called you to reign in life, Romans 5, 17. But how many of you understand that if you can't obey and be faithful in the small things, God will never bless you with the big things? That if you can't be trusted to serve those around you, God will never set you up and appoint you to lead those around you. Somebody would probably benefit from hearing that today. And we understand that with the right attitude, everything is worship. Now, as much as I love singing, as much as I love our worship team, at the end of the day, that is just one way in which we worship God. And if it's the only way in which we worship God, then, then honestly, I hate to tell you this, but it's really just more of a, a concert than worship. Now, we worship God by the way we live our lives. We worship God by the attitude and the posture of our heart. Uh, Colossians, Paul says this in Colossians 3.23, that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, when you stay humble, God will exalt you. And if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. Okay. Maybe you all get excited a little bit before the end of this. So anyway, we pick back up and David has heard Goliath's challenge and he's heard about the, you know, the tax-free living, which was pretty appealing. And he goes to Saul and Saul's first response is, no, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. And Goliath, he's too strong. He's too experienced. He's too mighty. And David says to Saul, Saul, listen, I have fought the lion when they tried to come and take our sheep. I've killed a bear that attacked our, our herd, our flock. I think I can take care of this guy. I think I can take care of him. 
And so Saul agrees. And can I just point out to you right now that that was from, from a purely logistic perspective, that was a really dumb decision on Saul's part. That was really dumb because the challenge is this. The challenge is whoever fights Goliath, if they lose, then all of Israel is going to become servants of, of the Philistines. But here's my, here's my suspicion. My suspicion is that Saul is so sick and tired of being faced with a battle that he doesn't feel like he can win. He's just ready to get it over with one way or the other. So he goes to David and he says, okay, here, here's my armor. And then if you've read the story, you know this. And David tries to put it on, but Saul's a grown man. And he not only is a grown man, he's a big man. And David is still a young boy. He's probably a teenager. And, and David says, this stuff won't work for me. I got I to do this my way, Saul. And Saul says, or, or David says, you know, I know I can win this fight. What I love about when I read the story of David and Goliath is that David never has any lack of confidence in his ability to conquer his enemy. And this, this, is, this is why I believe this. You know, David wrote so much of our Psalms. He wrote, he wrote a lot uh, of what's in the book of Psalms, and he was very versed and knowledgeable uh, from the Old Testament. In fact, we think he assembled the book of Psalms, which means that anybody know who was the second most uh, uh, recorded author in the book of Psalms? Oops, for, I think it was Moses, Moses. And so David assembled Psalms. So he, he has a lot of experience with what we call our Old Testament, the Torah, the, the first five, six books of the Bible. And so I'm sure that as he hears Goliath come out and challenge the people of Israel and he goes and he says, you know what? I can beat this guy. He's reminded of what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 9, where God said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I need to tell you today to rule in life, you will have to have courage. You will have to take courage, not in what you are able to bring to the fight, but in who is going with you to the fight. You got to have courage to stand up for what's right and not only to stand up for what's right, but to actually act on what's right. You got to have courage to not listen to the doubters, to not listen to the haters, right? Sometimes you got to have courage to not listen to yourself. I hear people say all the time, oh, I'm just hard on myself. You know, I, I think, you know, I'm just, I'm just tough on myself. Can I just submit to you? No, you're not. If you were tough on yourself, you would tell that brain of yours to shut up when it starts disagreeing with the word of God. You're being easy on yourself because you're not doing the hard thing and allowing the word of God to transform your mind, to reflect his word and not your thoughts. So sometimes you got to have courage to tell yourself, listen, you be quiet. That's not who we are. That's not what we are. We, we are courageous. We are strong because God is with us. He's called us. He's for us and not against us. Sometimes you got to have courage to believe for a miracle when everything you're looking at and everything you're experiencing and everything you're seeing is going against what you know and what you believe God can and will do. You got to have courage to walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to submit to you this idea that if in your life, you are not putting yourself in situations where if God doesn't come through for you, you will fail catastrophically. And it will, it will, you will look like a complete and total idiot. Sorry, I know kids are in here. Don't use that word at home, especially when talking to your parents. But if God doesn't come through for you, you're going to fail catastrophically. If you don't live like that, sometimes I submit to you that you're not living by faith, that you're living by sight. You got to be you got to have courage to put yourself out there, to do things that aren't easy, to say things that aren't easy. In fact, I've heard it said, I've never counted it myself, but we'll go with it. The most repeated command throughout the entirety of the Bible is to not fear. I heard one person say, and once again, I haven't confirmed this for myself, but I saw it on the internet, so it must be true. That the command in one form or another to not fear is found 365 times throughout the Bible, beginning to end. One command for each day of the year. It sounds, we'll go with that, right? We'll just, sounds like a good thing to believe for me. We believe a whole lot more stuff on the internet that's nowhere near as good as that, right? We'll post on Facebook about that. But anyway, I digress. Paul tells Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, God has given us a giant confronting spirit. You know, maybe this story would make more sense if we just showed it to you. What do you think? I need a Goliath. 
I need a Goliath. Yeah. Go stand, go stand right there, Goliath. What kind of shoes are those? They're what? Oh, my gosh. Okay. They're Jordans, right? They're not LeBrons. That's all that matters. Because LeBron's not worthy of a shoe deal. But anyway, you know what a Goliath needs? A sword. This is a replica from Zelda. I don't know which one, but it's, it's pretty legit. It feels, you feel that. Okay. I just need you to know that not to hit anybody with it because it's kind of legit. It's not very sharp though, but every Goliath needs a sword, right? And, uh, he looks like a Goliath, right? Yes, he does. Who said no? Girl, you better watch yourself. All right. But if we're going to have a Goliath, we need a David, right? Come on, David. Oh, wait, wait. I got to give Goliath one more thing. Hold on. Hold on. Goliath, you're going to need this because we're going to light you up, son. Here, put these on. These are your, uh, your hater blockers. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. That's Isn't that what you called them? Yeah. Okay. All right, so listen, I tried to find a slingshot, but, like, they're too real. You know what I mean? Like, they're a little too, they're a little too dangerous, right? So, so, Ryder, I mean, David, I think I found you something even better, okay? I... What'd you say? What'd you say? All right. So, don't shoot. Don't shoot, okay? So, so... The Bible says, somebody watch him. I'm a little scared. So go back, go over there, go all the way over here. Are you left-handed? Is this boy left-handed? Stressing me out. All right, y'all better watch yourself because this is a battery-powered Nerf gun. All right, so the Bible says that before they fought, they had a trash-talking contest, okay? So it actually started with Goliath. Goliath, what, what trash-talk do you have for David? I don't fight little dogs like you. That's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. There's David's dad over there, though, so you better be quite careful. He's kind of looking at you dirty. Um, I think he could take you, honestly. So you have a sword. Yeah, right, okay. All right, David, what trash talk do you have for Goliath? Remember, keep it clean. Don't talk like your mother. <laughs> Did you big and bad? He said, David said, I'm going to cut your head off. Yeah, that's pretty intense, isn't it? How about, how about your shoes aren't as cool as Pastor Drew's? Your shoes aren't as cool as... Oh, take that! All right. Then the Bible says that they started running toward each other. But wait, wait, don't run towards each other. We're going to do this in slow motion. So we need some dramatic music to cue this moment. All right, we got it? All right. Go slower than that. This stage is really small. Shoot him. Yeah! Yeah! All right, take that down. All right, Goliath's down for the count. He's down for the count, and then somebody cries out, finish him. And then David takes his sword. Now, I want you to hit him in the head as hard as you can. Not really. <laughs> and he cuts his head off. Yeah, that's pretty intense. You probably shouldn't have, I probably shouldn't have said that to you. All right. So David throws his slingshot, a.k.a. awesome Nerf gun that I'm so glad that I was able to buy for this sermon illustration. He sinks the rock or the Nerf bullets right in David's head, or in Goliath's head. Goliath falls, and David, without a sword, takes Goliath's own sword because sometimes the enemy will take, or the God will take what the enemy meant for evil, and he'll turn it for good, right? He defeats the enemy. And all of Israel is in awe of the little shepherd boy, David. 
who after 40 days of taunting from Goliath, you big booty tootie, <laughs> shows everybody that there is a God in Israel and it is not the size of the fight or the dog in the fight, right? It's the size of the God in the heart. Everybody give it up for David and Goliath. Yeah. You don't want to keep those? They're very stylish. All right, you can cut the music, although it probably would make the sermon better if I kept it up. Ah. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Ryder. Come on, give it up for them. The most famous fight in history, right? A teenage boy, or how old are you, Ryder? Six? Six-year-old boy versus how old are you, Christian? 16? Wow, how did you get so old? There's something to be said for self-confidence. But there's even more to be said for God-confidence. Too much self-confidence might lead to arrogance. Too much God-confidence leads to the miraculous. And so as David's getting ready to square up against Goliath, this is what he said. He said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And our ability to, to rule in life, to conquer the enemy, to overcome temptations, and to face trials is found not in the strength that I have to offer, but in the strength of knowing that God is with me wherever I go. But like I said earlier, there's a problem with how we tell this story because we think that David was the underdog. But what if I told you David was the favorite from the very beginning of this fight? See, see, we think David's the underdog because Goliath is the more experienced warrior, right? Goliath uh, is stronger, he's bigger, he's taller, he's, he's got all these things going for him. And David is a kid, he's just a shepherd boy. He, he's never been in a, a real fight with other people. He doesn't have the advanced weaponry that, that Goliath has. You see, David's sling and his stone, and it wasn't a slingshot, it was something that he would, he would do like this and he would throw it. It's just a piece of leather and a rock where, where Goliath has hardened iron and, and, and bronze and all this, all this equipment that for that time and era is the way more advanced weaponry. And so it looks like from the outside perspective that, that Goliath is the heavy favorite in every single category. But what if I told you, like seriously, that from the very beginning of this fight, David was really the heavy favorite? Would it, I don't know that it would mess up your theology, but it sure would mess up our comparisons, right? See, David had a sling and a rock. It wasn't fancy, but it was effective. You see, in the Valley of Elah, the rocks there are comprised mostly of barium sulfate, which means that the rocks are almost two times the density of a rock that you would go out and find in your yard or find in your driveway. And so David could take that, that, that rock in his sling, and because he had experience with it, let's just say the rock weighed about one ounce that means that at 200 yards away, because ultimately while the stage is small, the Valley of Eli was about a half a mile across. So when David and Goliath meet up, they are pretty far apart. And the reason why we know that is because Goliath looks at David and he says, or, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the reason why he says that is because David is carrying a shepherd's staff, but David is so far away and Goliath's vision's not that good. As he's looking out at it, he sees the man carrying two sticks. He's seeing double. So we, we know that they were pretty far apart. And so David could take a one-ounce stone comprised of barium sulfate, which is, again, about two times the density of an average rock. He could sling that thing over 200 yards at 60 miles an hour. And those shepherds were so accurate and so well-practiced with those slings that they could literally take a bird out in midair, which means that as David threw that rock and it hit Goliath, it hit him with the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. (laughs) 
He did. You see, David didn't have experience fighting giants, but the boy had experience fighting lions. And I don't care who you are, but they're, they're, I would rather face any man on this planet than a lion or a bear, like a real bear, not like the ones that we see sometimes around here. Although, anyway. You see, Goliath was looking for that hand-to-hand combat. He was waiting on David to get close enough to him for him to hit him. But David wasn't going to wait for the battle to, go to come to him. He was going to take the battle to Goliath. And a lot of times we struggle in fighting our enemy because we're playing defense instead of offense. And we've been called to reign and rule in life, right? And the most important reason why David was the favorite and Goliath was actually the underdog is because David wasn't fighting alone. God was with him every step of the way. Don, will you help me out, friend? I want to tell you today that your enemy is the real underdog in your battle. And too many of you have walked into this service, you're living your life, and you're believing that that you are fighting from, from a place of defeat. But the truth is you're fighting from victory, not for victory. The truth of the matter is the battle has been won. You just need to learn to walk into the victory that's already been provided for you. And you're not the underdog, but you continually wake up in the morning and you go through life feeling like you're behind when in fact, if you would allow the word of God to transform your mind, you would realize that because of Jesus, victory is assured and that you are fighting from a place of rulership, not from a place of defeat. Your enemy is the real underdog. And you're the heavy favorite. But, but this is why we don't walk in it. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like, everybody say that word like, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible says that the devil is like a lion. It doesn't say that he is a lion. He says that he's like a lion. And the reason the Bible says he's like a lion is that he is doing his very best to imitate the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a cheap counterfeit even on his best day. He's not a lion. His roar is a a toothless roar. He's all bark and he's no bite. The only thing your enemy has going for him, listen to me, Lifehouse, the only thing your enemy has going for him is he's a really good trash talker. And that's why you think that you're, you're fighting from defeat, that you're fighting from the underdog status because you've listened to the words of your enemy instead of the words of your father. And you think you're fighting from behind, but in actuality, you've been set in heavenly places and you're fighting from victory, not just for victory. You've got to allow the word of God to transform your mind, to transform your thinking. Hey, and listen to me, to transform your mouth. So that you start speaking victory. You start thinking victory. And when you start thinking victory and you start speaking victory, I got good news for you. You'll start seeing victory. But instead of listening to your feelings and instead of listening to the words of your enemy, listen to the words of your father. Listen to the real lion of the tribe of Judah. Not that cheap counterfeit, good old nobody imitator. The one that prowls around like a lion. But listen to the real lion. Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not, they're not the weapons of this world. We don't fight with Nerf guns and swords. We don't fight with fists and knuckles. We fight, the Bible says, uh, with the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. We're not fighting with swords. We're not fighting with slings. We're not fighting with foam bullets. We're fighting in the spirit. We were talking about it earlier. Our worship is our warfare. My praise is my weapon. My time spent on my knees does far more for me in attaining victory in this world than my time worrying about things that I can't change. My time allowing the Word of God to transform the way I think and the way I live is doing far more to provide victory for me in my life than trying to figure it out and fix it on my own. My weapons are better than the enemies. They're stronger. All he can do is trash talk. All he can do is lie. All he can do is make stuff up. Now we're the ones that he's afraid of. We're the ones who are the heavy favorites. And I want to tell you today, go ahead and stand with me this morning.
needs to hear this today. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you before we leave today. I, I brought anointing oil with me this morning because I believe that that's what the Lord wants us to do today. Because some of you have listened to the lie that you are an underdog in life. But today is the last day of that thinking. And today you're going to walk out of this place having an encounter with the Holy Spirit, being transformed. You're going to think different. You're going to see different. You're going to speak different because of what God's doing in you and what he's going to do through you. So listen to me. You are not an underdog. I don't care what they said to you. I don't care what some teacher told you. Maybe you had a parent that was not a good parent that, that convinced you that you weren't worthy or that you weren't good enough. Maybe somebody in your life, if you're like me, maybe it's just the thoughts in your own mind that keep trying to lie to you. But I'm telling you today, you are not an underdog. The Bible says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin. He's talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your guilt, your past, your shame has no hold or bearing on your life. You have been made new because of the righteous work of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, the sin in your life has been completely eradicated. The word says it's been put as far away as the east is from the west. And then when God looks at you, he doesn't see that thing that the devil keeps trying to remind you of. He sees a son. He sees a daughter because you are the righteousness of God. Listen to me you are a victor you are not a victim many of you today are walking around with a victim mentality you are focusing on what somebody's done to you what somebody said about you but listen as long as you are focused on what you can't change God won't be able to use you to be an agent for change you are a victor you are not a victim Paul says again but thanks be to God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ he doesn't make us earn the victory. He gives us the victory. It's a free gift. You know what you need to do with the gift? You need to accept it and you need to use it. You're a victor, not a victim. Many of you today, you have this thought in your mind that God's mad at you. But the truth of the gospel is that God's not mad at you. God is mad for you. God is 100% for you. The Bible says in Romans 8:31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And how many of you know Paul ain't asking no questions? He's making a statement. God, according to Deuteronomy 20 verse 4, fights your battles on your behalf. It says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Sometimes, sometimes we pick up the sling, sometimes we pick up the stone, and we know that God's with us in the fight, and sometimes we need to do what the Lord told Moses and the children of Israel. Be still and watch the Lord fight on your behalf. As you abide in Jesus, I want you to hear me today. Victory is assured. God through Isaiah says in Isaiah 54 that no weapon formed against you will prosper. You got to be careful when you read that because it doesn't say the weapon will be formed. Oh, the enemy's going to come against you. But remember, he's all barking, no bite, because that weapon may be formed, but it won't win. And you have a promise that God makes all things good. And you know this scripture, we quote it all the time, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So guess what? If it's not good, it's not over. I said, if it's not good, it's not over. So Lifehouse, I want to ask you, what giants are you facing today? Are you facing the giant of anxiety? Are you facing the giant of fear, relationship issues, depression, suicidal thoughts, illness? You've been struggling in your body, your health's being attacked. Maybe you're facing a giant, a financial difficulty. Maybe you've got problems at work. Maybe the problem is you can't find work. Maybe you got problems at home, situations with your, your spouse, situations with your children. And there's so many more. I'm, I, I could just name different situations because each and every one of us are, are facing so many unique things. But I want to tell you today that whatever giant you're facing, that there is a God in heaven that walks by your side and he wants to provide for you a victory beyond anything you could ever think, ask, or imagine for. But you have got to grow out of the place where you think you're fighting 
from a defeated perspective. Instead, understand that you are fighting from victory, not for victory. Understand that you are not the underdog. You're the heavy favorite. You're the one that says that with, with, even though the enemy comes against us, with God on our side, how could we lose? And so today, before we leave, before we go eat hamburgers and hot dogs and have fun and watch kids get sweaty and gross in bounce houses, because that's what's going to happen. They know smell worse than kids have been outside. And that's coming soon enough. But before we do that today, hear me, listen to me. Listen to me. If you are facing a giant, I don't, I don't care how big that giant feels or how small that giant feels. I don't care if it's something I named or something that, that I didn't name. I want to pray and believe God with you today. Not that you would just attain victory, but that you would walk in victory. That you would know that you are an overcomer by the power of the blood of Jesus and by the word of your testimony. I want to pray with you today that your mind would start seeing victory, that your mouth would start speaking victory, that your feet would start taking you into places of victory, and that you would understand and that you would know that because of the riches in Christ that you have been set apart for His good purpose and that you are a child of God and He is on your side fighting for you. And come what may, you are going to be victorious. It may not always look like the way we thought it would look, but it will look like the way God meant for it to look. And for me, that's good enough. So if you're facing a giant of any kind, of any size, I want to invite you to come to this altar all around here, and I want to pray with you. I want to believe God with you for victory in your life. For those who are standing in their seats, staying out there, I want to encourage you just to pray for these that come. Just believe God for victory. But listen, whatever the situation may be, there's no need for you to stand in your seats. Let's go all the way over here, guys. Let's go all the way over through here. And if the Lord prompts you in your spirit, please feel free to come stand with these that are up here to believe God with them, to trust, to trust God for them.